Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. Now, picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Most people just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash ratchet. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash ratchet. Masterclass.com slash ratchet. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because... It can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable. I'm back. It's been like five weeks, I think. A little rusty. I had to record the intro a couple times to get it right. <laughs> I've had a good break. I won't call it a vacation because while I wasn't doing the podcast, I was working on other things. I did get one beach day in and I did a few days on my rooftop. I've got a really nice pool on the roof and it's got great views of Accra, even on really hot days because the average temperature here is like 89, 90, 91, like every single day for like the last three months and humid, like it's hot, Um, but it's not so bad on the roof. The roof is like the seventh or eighth floor and the way it's set up, it's got this sort of like wind tunnel. So there's a breeze. It wasn't a vacation. It was work, but it was productive work. There have been a bunch of projects that I've wanted to complete for quite some time and just dealing with the podcast because even though I only record twice a week like I'm constantly producing episodes in my head so I'm never really off from the podcast and I'm never fully on for other things and I just needed a moment to focus on some of the other big projects that I want 
One of them, I've been wanting to open this Amazon store. Folks are constantly asking me about my must-haves for travel and how do I pack hair and beauty products while I'm living abroad. So the things that I use that are available on Amazon, I went ahead and put them on the store. Everything from my speakers to my podcast mic to my camera lenses to, I don't know, my body scrubs, charcoal toothpaste, hair products for when my hair is loose for wash and goes and twist outs. And also my hair products that keep my edges from falling out. Because you know, six months out the year, I got braids, but I still got edges though. All the stuff that I use is pretty inexpensive. I went natural before they had the really fancy and expensive products. And with rare exception, I still use the same stuff. And it's all on Amazon. My headphones, my chargers, books that I read for the beach or long flights, long layovers. My favorite movies, most of them are about travel, but I've also got a bunch of documentaries on there too. You know I love a good documentary. Or a good musical too. But because all this stuff is on Amazon, you can download it to watch on the plane. So you don't have to take your risk with plane suggestions, especially when it's one of those long haul international flights. But I literally went through my apartment and wrote down every single thing and everything that I have that's available on Amazon. Face washes, black soap, eyebrow pencils, all that stuff. I put it on my Amazon store. It will be ready in February. It's almost done. The other big thing I've been working on is Season World merchandise. Folks have been asking for that. <laughs> I want to say since like 2012, which is when I started using the hashtag. Me and the ex-husband were on vacation in Johannesburg. We went out to this nude beach in the middle of nowhere. I mean, because it's a nude beach. But it was like the most beautiful beach I'd ever seen. I don't even remember the name of the beach. But it had like these beautiful rock formations, like these gigantic rocks. Oh, it could have been Johannesburg. Not if we were at the beach. We were in Cape Town. So we did both. But there were like these gigantic, calling them rocks is not correct, boulders. But I walked out. I feel like it was to the middle of the ocean where this rock formation, boulder formation, jutted out into. And I had my clothes on. I had on this peach tank top and these white shorts. I was barefoot. And I walked out there and I was just in complete awe of what I was literally seeing. It was my first time in South Africa. My first time in Africa for both of us, actually. And it was just gorgeous. So I was standing out there and uh, my ex took a picture of me. I got to see if I can find that because I want to say it's in my Blackberry. I saved all my old phones. But yeah, when I uploaded on Instagram, I used the hashtag see some world. And yeah, that thing took off. It has been used online, I think 56,000, <laughs> literally 56,000, like 50,000 plus 6,000 plus a few hundred more times by people all over the world and people traveling all over the world. You can literally hashtag see some um, almost any country or city and you'll find tons of folks, mostly black folks. There's some non-melanated in there, too, but like 90 percent black folks traveling around the world. So I say all that to say people have been asking for merchandise forever and a day. So I finally got that up and running. The shirts are literally at the printer right now. I found this really dope black girl based in Hyattsville, Maryland, who has a print company. So we are two black woman-owned businesses in collaboration bringing you this season world merchandise. It's going to drop in March. I'll give you the date when we have it solidified. I also decided to buy a condo in Ghana. If you're a regular listener of the pod or reader on social, you know that there was a condo that I was interested in last year around the same time. Great size, great view. Okay location. It was in a neighborhood maybe like 20 minutes from where I stay now. In a good neighborhood too. I just prefer to be on this side of the city. It's more walkable where I am. But the building wasn't perfect. There were things that I absolutely loved, but there were also things that I was real like, eh. 
I feel like to rent it is one thing, but to buy it, it needs to be perfect. But I passed on that apartment and I've been kicking myself because I was like, oh, and I was like, are you asking for too much? Are your expectations too high? Are you being unreasonable, essentially? And I was like, I mean, maybe, but it's a lot of money and money spent quickly. The way Ghana is set up is if you're getting a condo, at least you buy the unit off plan. So sometimes they haven't even broken ground on the space. It's just a concept and an idea, which I'm totally uncomfortable with or while it's still being built. So in the case of mine, they've got like the first seven floors. The core foundation is there, but the building won't be finished until June, 2025 at the earliest. They have until December to actually finish it with no penalty. But before you can move into your unit, you have to pay the whole thing off in full. So I'm buying this condo and paying it off by June of next year. It's real, real cute, but um, I'm about to be real, real broke for the next year paying it off. That's part of the reason I ain't going nowhere in January. It makes no sense to do that when, you know, I got to pay off a whole condo <laughs> in a year and change. Don't look for me outside for the next two years. Don't look for no new bags. Don't look for no fancy clothes. I am on a budget. <laughs> so I got to buy the condo and then the condo got to be decorated. I ain't got no damn money to play with no more. <laughs> Let me also clarify. I am not broke. Cause when I say stuff like that, people are like, I told you that bitch ain't got no money. I have a number, I think like most people, that which when I go below, I'm not comfortable. What that number is, is between me and my accountant. But I'm used to seeing a certain number in my account, and that number has diminished significantly. I'm in here on a whole budget, like, ooh, I don't know if I can get salmon this week. <laughs> I'll save salmon for special occasions. Salmon's expensive over here. That's not the point. The point is... I think I picked the worst possible time ever to go on hiatus from the podcast. I hadn't taken a break for the entire year, bouncing all over Ghana, all over South Africa, all over Europe, all summer, even when I went to Asia. And I desperately needed one on a couple of occasions. A whole bunch of stuff happened in January. And we're going to talk about the big juicy stuff over time. It'll be impossible to capture everything because there was just like, I kept a running list the whole month. When I was putting together the outline for this episode, I realized I actually like having some distance between the occurrence and my commentary on it. I think it just makes for definitely more insightful opinions and just a better understanding of like the cultural impact of it all. It also keeps me from having to address something like three and four times as the story keeps developing. I don't think we're going to go back to the previous commentary where like something happens on a Monday and, and then I talk about it immediately the following day, unless it's something like really, really crazy that seems like a one-off. But I just noticed when I was doing the outline, because obviously we're going to talk about Shannon Sharp and Club Shay Shay. If I talked about it when it originally happened, I would have done like a play-by-play analysis of everything Cat Williams said, as opposed to talking about it now where I can talk about it as a larger story and the cultural impact, which is what I'd rather do with this podcast for the next 100 episodes. I promise you we'll go to 500. I don't know after that. Someday I'll tell you the backstory, but not while I'm under contract. I know we have a good thing going, but sometimes it feels a little stale to me. Still not the point. The point is... Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. Now, picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Most people just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. 
Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, Think Like a Boss with Martha Stewart, or Reframe Your Thinking with Ava DuVernay, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. There are over 200 classes to pick from, with new classes added every month. Like that class I just mentioned with Ava DuVernay, There's also a class from Alexis Ohanian, Serena Williams' husband, teaching you how to build your startup. There's a class with Shonda Rhimes where she's teaching writing for television. I took that one and I got a good TV job. Or you can learn how to design your career with one of my faves, Elaine Welteroth. And every new Masterclass membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So there's no risk. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash ratchet. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash ratchet. Masterclass.com slash ratchet. Shannon Sharp, Club Shay Shay. I don't think I ever watched a full episode of that podcast until the Cat Williams episode. That thing was two hours and 45 minutes, something around there. There are entire feature films that are shorter. Long films that are shorter. That thing was long as hell. I watched it four separate times because I was like, this is amazing TV. And ain't even TV. Cat Williams hijacked Shannon Sharp's show and essentially did a three-hour comedy special. Shannon Sharp could barely get a word in. Like, after the intro, Cat wouldn't let him. There were many points Shannon Sharp, like, tried to ask questions, tried to, like, you know, guide the conversation. But Cat Williams... And this is exactly what you're supposed to do when you do an interview, by the way. Cat Williams went on the show with an agenda of what he wanted to get off his chest. And he just took over Shannon Sharp's show. Shannon Sharp was completely and utterly out of his element. Cat Williams ran circles around him. As a journalist, it drove me crazy. It drove a lot of other people crazy, too. Because a few days after the show was posted... Shannon Sharp has another podcast, Nightcap, with Ocho Cinco. He was talking to Ocho about the backlash about the interview and people saying that he wasn't a good journalist and he didn't ask follow-up questions, which is true. He didn't. But he also clarified and he was like, I'm not a journalist and I'm not trying to be a journalist. I've never called myself a journalist. I'm an entertainer. This is not CNN, which rankled my feathers a little bit because I'm like, bruh, you good, full stop. And also, in addition to, you could be better. I think I put that in a caption I wrote on Instagram and then people responded. They were like, are, are you not? Why are you here? Are you, you're not resting? Go rest. Goodbye. Come back in February. We'll see you soon. Bye. Okay. People have said that shit to me and it drives me up a wall. Like sometimes I'll talk about things on the show and people are like, well, you didn't tell the full story. You didn't talk about this and you didn't talk about that. And you should have added this and blah, blah, blah. And I've had the same response. I'm like, this is not CNN. I don't do this podcast in the, in the capacity of being a journalist. Like I strive for accuracy. When I talk about a topic, I research it and I try to be fully informed so I can form a great opinion. But I'm not here to be objective or neutral. I take very clear stances on the things that I talk about. As still a trained journalist, like watching Shannon Sharp, I'm like, oh, he should have followed up this. Or, oh, I wish he had asked that. Or, oh, I wish he had asserted himself more. The truth of the matter is exactly what he said. It's the truth. And I was like, sir, he's not running around calling himself a journalist. He's not. And to credit, he's not CNN. Fair. He says he's an entertainer, and that Cat Williams interview, if nothing else, was good entertainment. Also, sidebar, I was so pleased when Don Lemon announced that he was coming back. 
he's going to start a podcast. In my perfect world, Don Lemon does something very similar to Shannon Sharp, just as an actual journalist. And I think there's space for both. Sometimes folks get caught in the narrative that there can only be like one black person doing a similar thing at one time. No, there is room for Shannon Sharp to kiki and entertain. And there is also room for Don Lemon to be serious along with entertainment and to do the follow-up question. I would love to see people go to both. Give me your kiki, give me your more serious. When there are too few, I would say, or singular people in a space the burden of what people want and are not getting tends to fall on that one person. So all the things that I want, like just like I'm saying, I wanted these hard-hitting questions and I wanted journalism and I wanted follow-ups and things like that. Not what Shannon Sharp does. is what Don Lemon does. But in saying like, I wish he did this and I wish he did that and I wish he did this and I wish he, I wish he asked these questions. I'm asking Shannon Sharp to be something that Shannon Sharp has never said that he is. And that's not fair. And people do it to me too. Like I realize I exist in a very unique space. And because of that, there are people that want more from me, more from this show, expecting things of me that I've never promised and I've never offered. I wish there were more people in this space. Please enter. But expecting Shannon Sharp to be all the things is just not fair to Shannon Sharp. He is what he is. An entertainer. He's made it clear. Cat Williams was entertaining as fuck. And... No one has really accused him of lying, not about anything significant. There were some questions about like the pace at which he could run. I don't remember what the exact numbers were, but he posted a video of himself running. And I want to say it was around. He might have been off by like a second, which I know makes a really big difference in sprinting. But it's not like, you know, he's competing for the Olympics. He's just like a 50 and change plus man running. I'll give him some grace on that. And then how many books he read per year as a child. Everything else is undisputed. He talked about all those comedians. He spilled all that tea. I think almost every comedian he mentioned, except Steve Harvey, responded to him. No one accused him of lying. He talked about Ricky Smiley, and he was like, Ricky Smiley's full of shit. Ricky Smiley came back a couple days later, his radio show. He addressed the issue, and he was like, so here's what happened. I went in to audition as this. It seems Kat went and auditioned for the same thing. They gave the role that I thought I had to Kat and gave me something else, which to me would mean you never had the role. Like you auditioned for the role. They told you we really like you for the role. They might have told you like, you know what? You got it. But if a contract wasn't signed and no money was exchanged, did you really have it? No. I was like, Ricky Smiley used some words that maybe he shouldn't have used. Like he presented it in a way that wasn't quite accurate. But he went and told the story of what happened from his perspective. But no lies. No lies. Some other people addressed Cat. Ludacris dropped a verse. Cat Williams said Ludacris is in the Illuminati, which I was like, nobody ever talks about actually being in the Illuminati. He was like, there was an Illuminati meeting. And I was like, I just wish Shannon Sharp had been like, tell me about these Illuminati meetings. Who all is in the Illuminati? Like, who runs it? Like, how many meetings are there? Do they meet on the fourth of the month, like the beehive? I mean, just details. I would like details. That could be the journalist in me. That could be the woman in me. But okay. Ludacris was like, no, there's no Illuminati. I feel like the Illuminati is kind of like Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is there is no Fight Club. But he didn't deny anything else, Cat said. Cat Williams accused Cedric the Entertainer of stealing his jokes. Cedric responded, but he didn't say Cat was lying. He actually couldn't. The joke that Cat Williams accused Cedric the Entertainer of stealing, folks on Twitter went and found Cat's original version. And then the joke that Cedric did, which is 
almost identical. One of them is in a car, the other one's in a spaceship, but everything else is the same. They also went and found some instances of, um, because Kat talked about Mark Curry. I was like, I heard Mark Curry's name in forever and a day. He was like, yeah, Steve Harvey completely hijacked Mark Curry's whole career. And he was like, hanging with Mr. Cooper. He was like, is that not the exact same show that Steve Harvey did? And I was like, oh shit, I never really thought about it. And then they went and found instances of Steve Harvey just completely jacking Mark Curry's joke. Mark Curry had this whole bit about Halloween and there's an interview where Mark Curry from years ago where Mark Curry talks about it. And he was like, no, that shit actually happened to me. That's actually personal lived experience that I pulled from my childhood and, and turned into comedy. And then he just like jacked the jokes, like line by line. They did a video side by side on Twitter. And I was like, oh shit. Nobody's accused Cat of lying. I'm not quite even sure the man exaggerated. Oh, there is one other thing. Cat Williams said he never touched drugs. He said when he was a young man, young boy, actually, he left his family house when he was an early teenager because of conflicts that he was having with his father. He said he moved to Miami. At some point, he was homeless, unhoused, and he would talk to other people who were unhoused about their lives and how they ended up without shelter. And he said all of them had stories of drug use. And he said hearing that, as a young man especially, he made a decision that he would never get into drugs. Okay. Cat Williams has been arrested conservatively around 15 times. Maybe 13, maybe 17. Around 15 times. This didn't come up in the whole three hour and change interview. I'm going to guess it was a condition of the interview that Shannon Sharp not mention it. I hadn't watched any Shannon Sharp interviews before Cat Williams, as I said previously. But since then, I've started watching other interviews that he does. His production team is amazing at research and gives him really good questions to ask on the cue card. This is also very standard for TV productions, talk show hosts. Very few people, if any, especially when you're on TV or you have like a, a big production behind you, are writing their own questions. This is literally one of the huge reasons that producers exist. But he's usually very thorough. And I found it very interesting that over the course of this three-hour interview, that he never specifically asked Cat Williams about his multiple arrests for chaotic shit or specifically about his drug use, especially after he brought up and that he asked people about their life choices and that he decided not to use drugs. I would have followed up and been like, so hey, a lot of people do think that you have, have used or abused drugs because you've been arrested for this, 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 and this. And people assumed that this was related to, you know, you being high. And if it's not drugs, then what was it? You don't just get arrested like 10, 13 times. And they're all for like misdemeanors. Because I remember watching the clip where um, he's at the radio show. I can't remember the woman's last name he was going back and forth with. He told that lady, he said, only one of us got $12 worth of jewelry. <laughs> Who says that shit? Wanda, not Wanda Sykes. It was another Wanda. I can't remember the lady's last name for anything. She called him like an inmate or like prison something. And he made the distinction. He was like, no, I've been locked up, but I've never been to prison. I've only been to jail. It's all like minor shit, but there's just a lot of it. And I'm like, so bruh, if it's not drugs, then what's going on? Cause something's going on. Was it an alcohol abuse issue? 
I do recognize the distinction between like, say, crack and vodka. I would have loved for him to address that. But other than that, like nobody, including the worldwide audience. Somewhere on like day four, my mom texted me in the middle of the night and she was like, who is Shay Shay? I was like, what? And she was like, Shay Shay, how do I find Shay Shay? And I was like, Lord God, my mom about to watch Ankh on the YouTube. <laughs> she said she watched the whole thing, but like that was the impact of that interview. And out of all the people he talked about and all the people that watched it, we ain't really caught him in no lie yet. That episode was viewed at least 50 million times. It had this huge cultural impact to the point that it was parodied on Saturday Night Live. And I'm like, my God, bruh, you're doing better numbers on YouTube than like the Oscars, the Grammys, the Emmys, the Golden Globes. Like, that's insane. Like only 4.3 million people watch the Emmys on network television. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. A couple other things, kind of about the interview, kind of about Shannon Sharp. There were a couple times in the interview where Cat Williams is making fun of other people. And this is what I mean by Shannon Sharp was like in over his head. He knew he was out of his debts and Cat Williams knew that he, as in Shannon Sharp, was out of his debt. And Cat clowned him a little bit without Shannon Sharp actually realizing it. At one point, Cat Williams was making fun of Steve Harvey. He was talking about how Steve Harvey said that he didn't want to be a movie star. And he basically was like, that's a lie. Because Bernie Mac talked about how Steve Harvey tried to take his role on Ocean's Eleven. And he was like, Steve Harvey definitely wanted to be a movie star. He was like, that's every comedian's goal. But he was like, who's putting this big country mofo on TV? And then he made fun of Steve Harvey's voice. And he was like, oh, baby. And Shannon Sharp laughed at that. And I was like, you don't realize he's talking about you? There was another point in the interview. He was talking about Jonathan Majors. And he was talking about how, like, the powers that be. He didn't specifically say the Illuminati, but he was like, they. He was talking about how they tried to push Jonathan Majors as a sex symbol. And then he goes on to clown Jonathan Majors' features. And the features that he is clowning, I'm like, Shannon Sharp has them. I'm like, this man is playing in your fucking face. 
start of the interview, Cat Williams starts off, he tells Shannon Sharp what a great interviewer he is. And like almost within the same breath, he criticizes Shannon Sharp for having all these people on his show and they straight up lied to him and he didn't have the context to know they were lying or the wherewithal to ask follow-up questions. The man toyed with him like yarn from the start of the interview. I thought Kat was rude for that. I also thought he was rude for making fun of, and I hate to stick up for her. She's not my favorite person. And this is where intersectionality gets on my fucking nerves. I want to not care about certain people, but like, it's like, oh, well, she's still a woman. Towards the end of the interview, Cat Williams actually allowed himself to be interviewed. And Shannon Sharp got to ask like his usual round of questions. He loves to ask people about relationships. He loves to ask them about other pop culture ongoings. He asked Cat about Kanye West. And Cat responds. And then he says something like, you know, Kanye knew he married a whore. Bruh. He also made fun at various points in the interview about other entertainers wives weird face wives that never do interviews and he said you know people think i'm talking about one person but he was like there's seven of them and you know people online doing what they do started making compilations of comedians with their wives i didn't like the strays that he sent towards kim kardashian specifically i was like there was no need to call that woman a whore and then also to the wives you've got beef with somebody because and it's the whole reason cat came on shannon's show he said to Shannon, started the episode, you've had several people who come on your show and they sat here and lied to you and I'm going to tell you the truth. For the most part, all the men that Cat Williams addressed, there were a couple people that caught strays, but for the most part, everyone that he addressed at length was someone who had said something publicly about him and this was him responding to everybody all at once. I'm of the opinion, if you say some shit about me, especially in public, then I'm allowed to also address that in public. You're just taking shots at the wives as a way to insult the men. Just insult the men directly. You don't need to use their wives who've done nothing to you as collateral damage. It's not necessary. Most of the wives that he spoke about, like the weird-faced wives that never give interviews, by your own admission, they don't give interviews. They're not putting themselves out there. So why are you attacking them? I didn't think that was right. Shannon Sharp does this Cat Williams interview. At least 50 million people watch this interview. Probably closer to 60 million at this point. Let's look it up real quick. YouTube. Shannon Sharp. Cat Williams. 56 million. Shannon Sharp overnight. And you know what? I don't want to say overnight. Because Shannon Sharp did point out, and he was like, I've been doing Club Shay Shay for four years. This is not an overnight success story. He follows up Cat Williams with... Country Wayne. That didn't do Cat Williams' numbers. And Country Wayne said some real interesting shit. Like, that man got 10 kids. I don't know about how many women. At least five women. And sat on Shannon Sharp's show and said he was a catch. I was like, um, okay. I didn't make New Year's resolutions. I just set a few goals. One of my goals is to operate with the delusion of a heterosexual man. White, black, or otherwise. Men's level of delusion. Like, I really try to have, like, a, a, a well-rounded, full take on, like, my virtues and my vices. Men, all I am is the good and positive things that I have chosen to believe about myself. And anything that contradicts this narrative is just haters and bitter bitches who won't take accountability. It's an amazing level of delusion. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to be part of that world. Like, these niggas are crazy. But they also seem happy. 
And it's like almost like if they say their crazy shit often enough and if they believe it hard enough, then it's almost like in the matrix how you can like will the spoon to bend. Like that's what it seems to happen. Look at Trump. I am great. I am amazing. I am powerful. I am a leader. You just repeat it enough times and people just start fucking believing it. Country way. I got a whole tribe of children by a whole tribe of different women. I'm a catch. Part of your world. I saw Usher on Shannon Sharp. Was it yesterday? Yesterday was Thursday. Was it Wednesday? I think it was Wednesday. It seems it was recorded. I want to say probably October. He didn't say anything very shocking or profound. There's been a lot of conversation. It's like the clip that everyone sort of latched onto is he talks about actually not babysitting Beyonce. Like Shannon Sharp asked him, he was like, oh, there was a rumor that she used to babysit Beyonce. And I was like, I've never heard this rumor ever. Like, what are you talking about? And Usher was like, no, that that didn't happen. And that's what I mean when I was saying earlier, like his producers do the research, like they go and find all sorts of obscure stuff to make sure that the interviews are, are juicy, essentially. But I was like, yeah, that's not one that, I, that I've ever heard before. I'm trying to think if there was anything else shocking about the interview. Not really. Usher came across as just a grown-ass man. I can't recall many Usher sit-downs at length. Like interviews, sure, but like something where he sits and talks for like, like a good chunk of time. Like Oprah used to do, like Oprah would have a whole episode with a celeb or like Diane Sawyer or Barbara Walters, like back in the day. When he does interviews, it's usually like a, you know, three to five minute and then he's out. But it was a good sit down. Usher came across as grown ass man, first and foremost, a good, involved, thoughtful father, a performer at the peak of his game. Humble, smart, attuned, well-intentioned, funny, nice, likable. Even though he didn't say anything shocking or jarring or particularly memorable, to be honest, he came across extraordinarily well. And honestly, one of my real big thoughts about it was like, God, I missed the time when entertainers were media trained. Because people now just be doing anything. Nicki Minaj on that like six-day bender going back and I can't even say back and forth because Megan ain't said shit. Arguing with herself? We'll talk about that in another episode. It just made me love him even more, which I didn't even know was possible. And Shannon Sharp did good with the interview. In general, I think he does good with interviews. My biggest critique is that he asks a bunch of questions in a row. But I'm like, just ask one question, let them answer, move on to the next question. Like It often confuses the person being interviewed or they only answer one question instead of both when you stack them. I didn't read Usher's interview in Vogue. I just saw the cover. The pictures inside were okay. I didn't love them. But the cover was like abysmal. It was horrible. Isn't Sir Edward Innifel, Innifel? Isn't he like global director of Vogue now? And I was like, Edward couldn't help this situation? Did Edward see this? There's no way in hell Edward saw that cover. They must have snuck that shit behind his back. There's no way in hell Edward saw that cover and was like, yeah, this is it. Go for it. No. Usher. Usher, who's performing at the Super Bowl. You only get to perform at the Super Bowl if you have reached a certain status in your career. And to be quite frank, Usher is long overdue. This probably should have happened somewhere like around confessions. But here we are nevertheless. They put this man, 
this global icon who pointed out during his Shannon Sharp interview, yeah, Confessions went diamond, which means 10 million copies sold. That was over 10 years ago, and he's the last black artist to do it. You took that man, diamond selling, who's headlining the Super Bowl. You took that man and put him on the cover of Vogue and then put him in the background and then put some random white lady. She's not random. She's actually a huge, huge, huge model. But in the context of this cover, what the fuck is she doing there? Now, I had this conversation with one of my friends and he was like, she's like a huge supermodel, like huge. And I was like, is she Linda Evangelista? Because that's huge. Is she Naomi Campbell? Because I know their names. Is she, is she Cindy Crawford? Because I know their names. Is she Alec Wet? Because I know her name. Is she Veronica Webb? Because I know her name. I don't know who this lady is. He, he Googled her name and he sent me screenshots of all the covers that she's been on. She's huge. I acknowledge that. Carolyn Murphy, that's her name. I repeat, is she Linda Evangelista? Does she stay in bed if the check is under $10,000? No. But she's on the cover with Usher and I'm like, but why? And he was like, because Vogue is a women's magazine. Its target audience is white women. He pointed out that the only man who's had a solo Vogue cover, the man was wearing a dress. He was like, did you want Usher in a dress? In fairness, that would not be my preferred look. But, okay, if it's a women's magazine, primarily white women, but they also have had black women on the cover, several of them over time, not enough, but still. But I don't understand, like, you couldn't find, like, a black model? Did they stop existing? Did they all die? You couldn't find a black model to put on the cover with Usher? And then also, in addition to, you couldn't find a way to make Usher the center of his own Vogue cover? Why is the white model in the foreground and the black man who the feature story is about in the background? Write the fucking feature on her since she's so important. And then they're like these random kids. I didn't read the article because I was so disgusted, but somebody explained to me they were like Usher, like sponsors a children's football team, peewee football, something like that. That's who the barefoot kids were on the cover. Also, this didn't like the idea of like these brown barefoot kids. They're on a football field, like put some shoes on the babies. Usher got on shoes. The white lady got on shoes. Why the kids ain't got no shoes? It was just a weird cover. And again, the cover star is in the background. It's Usher. He cute. You ain't got to hide his face. Put him in the foreground. His skin is nice. And if it wasn't, you could Photoshop it. Put him in the foreground. Why he in the back? And then the pictures inside, like they've recreated like Usher's dressing room in one of the pictures. Like, why is the white lady there? Why is she there? Like, if you must have a model, I'm like, was Naomi Campbell unavailable? You know, they used to date. Paloma wasn't available. She couldn't come to the shoe. I was like, what's Tyra doing? Tyra couldn't come out? Like... Call Iman. Call Winnie Harlow. Where's Ducky? Ducky couldn't come outside. All of them were busy. They would have made more sense. And they would have sold a whole bunch of issues. Had they put Usher on the cover in the forefront with a black woman, the whole setup of that photo, even with a black model, would still be stupid. However, if they put Usher in the foreground with a black woman, it would have been like back in the day when Italian Vogue used to do that black issue. That issue kept selling out and they would have to reprint it. They could have done something iconic and they chose to do something mediocre with Usher, with Usher. And because of like where the state of black media is right now, it used to be when white folks fuck something up, when they got the lighting wrong, when they got the outfit wrong, when they got the hair wrong, you could count on Ebony or Essence to come through in a clutch 
and be like, fine, we'll fix your mistake. I don't know that there's an Usher cover coming from either one of them. My hope was that Ebony would have put Usher on the cover because Ebony has been shooting iconic covers. I would have hoped that Ebony would have done like a Jonathan Majors moment, something with a similar, if not bigger impact because it's Usher. I would have hoped that Ebony could have come through in a clutch. Ebony put Lakeith Stanfield on the cover. He has Book of Clarence. You know, I haven't seen it because they don't have it over here. Reached out to some friends at Essence and I was like, do y'all have an Usher cover coming? Like, are y'all going to redeem this shit? They were like, no, the next cover is Black Women in Hollywood. It's, it's not Usher. And I was like, shit, who's going to give us a proper Usher cover? My coffee table needs an Usher cover. Again, not that I can get it here. I would have to ask my mama to go to Barnes & Noble and pick up issues for me. <sighs> Usher deserved better. The color purple, if you follow me online, you know I've been bitching about this for a while now. The color purple is coming to Ghana. Six weeks or so after it was released in the States. I think it comes out the end of this month. I've been watching it on Amazon Prime. Color Purple ended up on Amazon Prime three weeks. January 16th, I think it was released on Amazon Prime. It only came out in theaters Christmas Day. It wasn't even a month before it hit Amazon Prime. And I was like, I'm very happy to see it. I'm not complaining because I was not able to get access to it. But I am concerned. And I was asking about it online on my Facebook page. I couldn't really talk about it on Instagram because every time I posted, even when I posted on other people's pages, like I'd be in the comments and somebody would follow up behind me and was like, are you supposed to be here? Don't you need some rest to prepare for February? Really? I said I was taking a break from the podcast. I didn't say I was taking a break from like everything. I did say I might take a social media break, but folks were really on me about that shit. And they were like, bitch, if you don't go rest, lay down, sit down. Okay. But I was on Facebook talking about the color purple and, you know, I'm out of the loop on certain things. Like I have to go think about something and then look it up if someone doesn't send it to me, which y'all do a really great job of like making sure I stay up to date on the things that y'all want me to speak about. What I had heard about the color purple is it came out Christmas Day. I think they said it was like an $18 million opening weekend. I later read that they adjusted that number and they were like, no, it was more like 11 million. We got the numbers wrong. But I thought from the initial numbers that came out and also because I was so excited to see it, I thought that that translated to a lot of other people wanting to see the movie. And I didn't realize that essentially it had flopped. And let me clarify that and say in terms of numbers, because awards wise, it's racking up nominations. It hasn't necessarily racked up wins just yet. Yet being the operative word. I read that the color purple, I want to say it took 90 million to make. It was another 30 or 40 million on the marketing campaign because Oprah and Taraji and Danielle Brooks and Fantasia, obviously, Corey Hawkins showed up for some stuff too, Coleman Domingo, but they were everywhere. They were all over the place. Oprah, who was an executive producer, went out and did a full court press to promote the color purple. It was a full court press. And then, like, the movie didn't do well? I saw some folks blamed it on Taraji. Midway through the press junket, Taraji has a breakdown and talks about how she's thinking of quitting Hollywood because she's just sick of, I want to say she said unfairness, but basically it was shitty treatment and shitty pet. And she talked about how throughout her career, despite her many accolades, she's done 50 million movies. She was nominated for an Oscar for Benjamin Button. Her talent is not in question. Her work ethic is not in question. But she was like, but I'm just not getting paid 
what I should. And she was like, even when my movies put numbers on the board, when it comes to a next project, they want to take me back to what I got paid before my last big project. She was like, I hadn't had a pay raise in years. What? She also talks about how she almost didn't do the color purple because they offer her trash money too. Excuse me? She and other members of the cast start talking about the, the conditions on set. Taraji was like, yeah, they wanted to give us rental cars and have us drive ourselves to set every day. She was like, this is unheard of. Almost everybody in this movie, the main characters are like, you know, people whose names you know. This isn't a bootleg production. Like, it's a $90 million production. Why don't we have drivers to take us to set? They talk about there was no food. They talk about these huge megastars are, like, sharing trailers. What? Folks have blamed. I want to say folks. I think media tried to blame Taraji for the film not doing well. There were also rumors that she had like this beef with Oprah. Oprah had to address it on the red carpet. I think it was the Golden Globes. And Taraji's addressed it a couple times. Taraji came out and said, I think there's too much focus on the behind the scenes. She was like, I brought up the grievances to Oprah. It's like, you know, the senior person on set. She's not first on the call sheet, but she's probably the biggest star overall on the cast. And she says, you know, we brought up, we brought up the grievances and they were addressed swiftly. Oprah took care of us once she was informed. Oprah announced she was doing this, these sit-downs with the cast on HBO. Taraji was the first one. Like, they did what they could to repair the bad press, if you will, about the movie. I didn't realize how many folks disliked Oprah either. People have not moved on from, I think, Michael Jackson. And then I also think she took a real PR hit with, um, remember she and The Rock were trying to raise money for Hawaii? Like, you alone have billions, and The Rock has hundreds of millions. Why are you asking ordinary people for money in the middle of a recession? Why don't y'all just write a fucking check? Fair. But people blame Taraji for the movie tanking. The Root picked up on the narrative of blaming Taraji and was like, ah, 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 and saw what people were actually saying about why they didn't support The Color Purple. A bunch of people didn't know it was a musical, which I was like, did you see the commercial with all the people singing? Did you, did you see the lineup? Of all the singers who were participating in the film. That wasn't a clue to y'all that it was a musical? And I feel like in all the interviews, like they talked about it being a musical. I feel like there was discussions about, you know, Taraji not being known as a singer. And then having to re-embrace her singing chops in order to play Shug Avery. And I was like, oh, so you just thought only Taraji was singing? And not her? And not Fantasia? When you heard it was based on the Broadway musical, that wasn't a giveaway? That there was singing. The Root story also talked about people weren't happy with the film because there's a love affair between Celie and Shug. Yeah, that, that's in the first film. Didn't they kiss in the first film? Am I making that up? I mean, it wasn't like a tongue you down moment, but like I distinctly remember them kissing. Am I making that shit up? It's like a pet, but it's a kiss. But they were lesbians in the book. And then they were also lesbians on Broadway. And the way people talked about there being like this overwhelming lesbian love story, same sex love story. I thought that there was like an extended sex scene or something like you got Taraji and Fantasia like scissoring on screen or some shit. I finally saw the film. I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't go back to sleep. And I was like scrolling on Facebook and somebody mentioned the color purple was on Amazon. It's like five o'clock in the morning. I stopped trying to go to sleep. Like I immediately logged in. I bought the film. I know I'm going to want to watch it 50 million times and have. I've seen that movie at least 10 times at this point. 
I loved it. I loved it. Like, love, love, loved it. Like, I, I keep watching it. Like, I love it. I wrote online that I loved it. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to give like a full review because every time I post, people keep telling me to like go rest. Okay. But I said how much I loved it. And I was like, I love everything about it. And I was like, I want to like hug it and tie it into a bow. I loved it. One of my really, really good friends, if I called her name, you know who she is, hit me up and was like, um, was this a sponsored post? I said, what do you mean? And she said, did you actually like that film? The way she said it, I was like, wait, did, did you not like it? And she was like, I thought it was fucking horrible. She was like, it's a story about incest. Why is everyone fucking singing? I was like, well, you put it like that. But I'm also not under the belief that every time someone's singing that it must be out of joy. I think you can sing out of sorrow. I think you can sing sometimes when talking fails you. There are emotions that come out through song that may just not come out in in regular speech. I loved it. When I tell you I love this movie, she gave me this whole list of like everything she hated about it. One, everyone like breaking into song. And she was like, what the fuck was that when the whole town starts singing when Shug Avery arrives? And I was like, oh my God, that was like my favorite part when Shug Avery pulls up. And she was like, why the fuck would they open the film looking like Daughters of the Dust? She was like, they're at the goddamn ocean. She was like, the color purple is set in the middle of the state. It's landlocked. Why would they move it to the coast? And I was like, is this really that important? Like, seriously? She was like, Demetria, it's like you write a book that's set in D.C. and someone moves it to Baltimore. And I was like, okay, fairness. Fairness, because that's two different cultures. Still, it's visually stunning. It's like, I love that it harkens back to Daughters of the Dust. And so she was like, no, Daughters of the Dust is Daughters of the Dust. The color purple is the color purple. Why the fuck does it look like a Beyonce video? I was like, well, the director, he didn't shoot the Beyonce videos that look like Daughters of the Dust, but he did shoot a Beyonce video. I mean, I thought it was great. I thought them by the water with the deadwood trees, I thought visually stunning. She was like, no. She was like, the first part of the movie isn't even about Seeley. Why does Halle Bailey have more lines than Seeley? I think they're emphasizing the importance of Nettie and Seeley's life. I think they're contrasting how Seeley has been repeatedly abused. Nettie has not. Seeley's light has dimmed, but Nettie unabused is still shining bright. I think it's emphasizing how Nettie is this bright light and how she guides Seeley. I was like, it's the same thing in the first Color Purple, which by the way, she thinks is like a perfect film. I'm like, but even in the first Color Purple, Nettie is the one teaching Seeley to read because Nettie gets to go to school. She hated the separation of Seeley and Nettie. She said it had no emotional impact. She said Danny Glover physically prying Nettie and Seeley apart in the original had a greater impact on her. She was like, I felt absolutely not at all stirred up by Mr. Kicking Nettie out of the house and then pulling a gun on her. And I was like, oh my God, I thought him pulling a gun on her was 10 times worse than just physically trying to separate them. And the first one, he's just going to beat them. And this one, he's literally threatening to kill them. And not just like a figurative, like I will kill you. He cocks the weapon and pulls it on Nettie. He actually fires it. Literally, Nettie could have lost her life in that moment. He's kicking her out into the world in the movie, which is bad enough, but he's literally trying to kill her in this one. And she was like, no, it did nothing for me. She hated it. We went through the movie almost scene by scene. And she was like, Seely in these pants and she's dancing around in these sequin pants. Like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, oh my God, I loved it. She hated it. We didn't talk about the lesbian scenes between Taraji and Fantasia. 
I think honestly, because there's nothing really to talk about. Again, I'd heard people talk extensively about the same sex relationship, like it was too much. And I thought it was going to be something very graphic. And then when I watched the film, I was like, is this it? It's a Broadway number where they're dancing and it's not like someone's bent over twerking. And then there's a kiss, like a peck, that then fades into a silhouette. And the next morning, they wake up in bed together, fully clothed. Taraji's arm is tucked through Celie's. That's the extent of the affection between them. This is the lesbian love story y'all were complaining about? It's coming to Ghana, like I said, like later this month. Although I've watched it 10 times already, I'm going to watch it again in the theater because I want to see it on the big screen. I want to see these big musical numbers, these big dancing numbers on the big screen. I thought it was visually stunning. I thought it was well acted. I thought Shug Avery wasn't shit, which is a never a thought that I've had before. The Color Purple came out in the 80s. The oldest I possibly could have been was 10. I think probably because I saw it as a child, there are certain things that I just didn't pick up on in the story. But I was watching it this time. The same story, obviously, being told in a different way. But I've never watched The Color Purple and had the thought that Shug Avery wasn't shit. She's a villain to me, just as bad as Mr. I mean, she redeems herself, as does Mr., by getting Steely out of an abusive situation. But, like, put Shug Avery in context. Mr. had a wife before Steely who was killed by her lover. So the wife was cheating with somebody else. And then Mr. was cheating with Shug Avery. So Shug Avery was a mistress to this married man with his first wife. She pops back up at Mr.'s house. She stays her happy ass at this married man's house. And he allows it because he also ain't shit. But as a woman, you should have some decency to be like, I can't be staying up in your house allowing you to cook for me, bathe me in the whole nine yards when I'm fucking your husband. Even if he don't like you and even if you don't like him, this ain't right. She and Celie connect. And start to form this friendship, which eventually turns into a relationship. Celie comes downstairs one day and Shug is bumping and grinding with Celie's husband. Celie don't like him. He don't like Celie. She don't like fucking him. The man is abusive. But you just moved your happy ass into my house indefinitely. And then you start fucking my husband? The levels of ain't shit. And then, and then, she and Celie's relationship continues to grow she stops fucking Albert to start fucking his wife. Like you're living in your boyfriend's house and start cheating on him with his wife. Bruh. And then you up and decide one day to leave both of them with less than 24 hours notice. You pull back up sometime later with your husband and then tell the man who was once your boyfriend, his wife, who you cheated on him with. You're literally taking his wife and moving her into your house in Memphis. Does your husband know that the woman that you're moving into y'all's house in Memphis is also your girlfriend? This is some scandalous shit. All the years that I've watched this movie, I never picked up on that. And I'm always like, Mr. is a villain. Mr. is a villain. No, Shug. Shug trifling as fuck too. That's, that's pretty trifling. But I acted like I had never seen this movie before, which technically this movie, no. But like, I didn't know the entire storyline. I read the book. It's been 20 years, but still, I've watched the original Color Purple no less than 30 times. I went to see it on Broadway at least three times. I know the story. I loved it. Loved it. My girl hated it. Like, she was just like, what is this shit? And I'm like, you're a purist. And she was like, maybe I am. 
She was like, you don't fuck with Alice Walker's story. Alice Walker created a very specific story that she wanted to tell, set in a very specific place based on her own personal experiences. You don't go fucking with Alice Walker's storytelling. And I was like, I mean, I feel you. But I'm also not a purist. I loved it. Loved it. <sighs> There's a ton of other stuff that we need to talk about that we're not going to get to today. One of the things that I want to do with the podcast going forward is I want to take deeper dives into things that we're really passionate about. So we're not going to get to everything. Jonathan Majors, obviously, that's a huge one that I'm going to have to save for next episode. But we have time. We have another 100 episodes at least. So welcome back. And then also goodbye. We'll talk again on Tuesday. Okay, bye. So I I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.